0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's belated edition of Daily Coast Brief. It's our weekly show about politics and <laughs> Carrie. I think we're in the we're in the middle of the celebration. I've got two and a half hours of sleep last night, and yet I'm you running great, on adrenaline. I am great. running a hundred percent adrenaline
1: <laughs> for, for our podcast listeners. At some point, I'm doing jazz hands right now, jazzy, jazzy. All right, sorry. Go so, ahead.
0: So as you may know, Democrats had a remarkable election night on Tuesday that was the, the general prevailing narrative but we're going to be talking about that extensively in today's episode but the prevailing narrative was that Democrats were going to get blown out of the water because history says that the party in power loses a lot of seats and average about 30 house seats and it does so because one the election is an is a referendum on the incumbent and so uh, a president can never really fulfill their campaign promises. Right. I mean, they promise the world and they run into the in Congress. They run into the Supreme Court. Nothing ever happens. So so the supporters of the president are disenchanted. They're disengaged. On the other hand, the opposition is just absolutely revved up. Right. Because they're they they feel marginalized. And Kerry, and we've been talking for over a year now how this was not going to be a typical midterm. We saw this coming from a year ago. And did, I really wanted to we really want to shout this from the rooftops because we saw this coming. And it was clear as day that you cannot have a referendum on an incumbent president when the old guy Donald Trump won't get off the stage. So already we were saying this was going not to be a referendum, but it was going to be a choice, just like 2020 going to be a choice between Trump and Biden. And that was a different equation. Doesn't matter how unpopular Biden is, because Trump is even more unpopular than Biden. And two, we saw what the Supreme Court was going to do with Roe v. Wade. We saw the writing on the wall and we we we. We knew right, Carrie, like we knew that there was yeah. no way that women were going to lose this. Right. And, and not to mention. To, yeah. yeah. So so, Carrie, like I, I know <laughs> yeah. I, I've set this up. This is sort of the, the big picture setup. and Democrats won. We you know, we, we may we may still lose control of the Senate, you know, the House. But if we do, it'll be by one seat, two seats. This was not the blowout wave election that we see in midterm elections. And we picked up state legislatures in Minnesota. And in Michigan and in Pennsylvania. And we passed what four or five um, ballot initiatives that protect the right to abortion and yes. uh, governorships. We protected yes. governors, secretary of state's offices. It was a great freaking night.
1: Yeah, let's so I mean, we we want to gush about this because it's so exciting. Um, but let's take a step back here real quick and just say so as my understanding of where we are and I, I honestly have been writing and haven't had a chance to like do the last minute check. But my understanding of where we are is that we look like we're potentially, and have a decent shot, Marcos, of keeping the Senate, right? Um, we we won the uh, John Fetterman, uh, who, uh, you know, even amid having a stroke put together an amazing campaign, won against, uh, you know, Trump-endorsed uh, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. That was an insurance policy against losing in somewhere like Nevada or Georgia or Arizona, Right now, it looks like um, I think we have a decent chance in Arizona. You should correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think um, we're going to win
0: Arizona. We're going to win Nevada. Yeah. I think Nevada
1: is still counting, but it looks like uh, Catherine. We're going win it. OK, he's <laughs> you heard it right here. Marcos is calling it. <laughs> I, I mean, but, I'm
0: I'm calling it. I, I mean, I've looked at the numbers and, and okay. the people who know what's going on. And you, there could be a surprise. Right. There could be there a could surprise, be a, but, there but, could
1: be a surprise. But it looks very good. Yeah. What that means is even and then, the, and then the, and the,
0: yeah, yeah, and then the right. runoff in Georgia. Were you going to mention? Yeah, the right in, in Georgia, Georgia okay. we're
1: pro- have we do we know for sure we're going to a runoff? Likely it's, we're going to a runoff. It's been
0: called for a runoff. Yes.
1: Okay. Okay. So so in Georgia, we're going to a runoff, but it's probably not going to be for control of the Senate. It's probably going to be we're going to go into that with Democrats controlling the Senate, and hopefully, just hopefully, I don't want to jinx us, but and then Georgia will be icing on the cake. Hopefully, if we can keep. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock in there. Uh, and then we would end up with 51 seats. So um, that's about where we are in the Senate. In the House, it's much more murky. There's a lot of things still yet to be counted and called and whatever. Uh, Marcos, what are what do you think the odds are right now of Democrats keeping the House, losing the House, losing it by less than 10, 10 seats, that type of thing? Any idea? Yeah.
0: Yeah, if I if I would if I would have to guess, I would say that the Republicans end up with about 220 seats, so they would have a very narrow. What is that? A, a three-five.
1: Yeah, a it would be a majority.
0: It would be very, very, that. very. Narrow, And it's well within the margin of, you know, votes are being counted and there are races that are hundreds of votes apart. And so we, we may still hold out. And this is a topic for a different episode, but I actually do wonder if having the narrowest Republican majority in the House, having them eat each other alive because oh, they're going to
1: oh, it's going to be sure uh,
0: may actually help us in 2024 because they will still pass some nutty as legislation. And then Joe Biden and the Democrats get then run against the Demo- the Republican. And House.
1: The, the only so, thing they're going to be able to agree on is doing investigation after investigation after investigation. And guess what? Voters are going to find out that they have no plans to yeah. to uh, do anything about inflation or anything else. So. Um, yeah. So, and, and
0: we've learned we've learned from Republicans that you know they can subpoena whoever they want. We don't even have to show up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's right, that's exactly. what we learned the last yeah, couple years. Yeah, that's what years. we learned.
1: So, and, so, and then on uh, in um, w- in terms of gubernatorial races, it looks like are we did ha- what what's happening with Arizona? I, I, yeah. What's happening so in Arizona? Do you know?
0: It, it's. I mean, Arizona is tight. We don't we don't know, and that's that's one I'm not really willing to count right now. It looks like we may lose Nevada. We did pick up Maryland and Massachusetts. So we we would end the night plus one. But very, very importantly, we will have kept um, Wisconsin, Michigan,
1: yeah, Michigan,
0: Pennsylvania,
1: Pennsylvania.
0: So which are
1: three critical, three critical swing states in the Midwest that always play and have been extremely close in both of the last presidential elections. It was, you know, that's that's huge for us so hey sorry go ahead
0: yeah yeah and we kept the electoral control of the electoral machinery in those states and it looks like we also won the Secretary of State office in Arizona which also administers the elections in Arizona so Arizona I'm, I'm hopeful that we sweep that we win the governorship and it's so still, still well within the possibility it's just we just don't know what votes are outstanding so it's kind of hard to say what kind of margins we're gonna have at the end of the day but but it's looking, you know, it's, it's a bummer that we we may have probably lost a Nevada governor's um, seat. Again, we don't really know what's outstanding, so it's not a done deal. But uh, all in all, I mean, it was it was on the governor's side. We won some of the most important seats and we actually picked up seats. And again, this was supposed to be the red wave, the red tsunami. Yeah. And, and so. You know, now that we've sort of talked about sort of this top line, Carrie, like I loved your piece today. You you wrote a piece on Daily Coast about that media narrative. And I know it's been a theme of yours for for months. And it's definitely been a theme on this show, right? We had people on like Simon Rosenberg Simon Rosenberg, who is now like a mini Twitter celebrity because he was one of those people who everybody piled on top and claimed that he was selling hopium because he yeah. kept saying, like, guys, I don't I don't see a way. The data doesn't show a wave. And so people kept piling on to him because he seemed to be out on the ledge. We had him on the show. Uh, same with Joe Trippi. There's, there. You know, we we've been talking not because we 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 stuck our heads in the sand and we were going to cheerlead no matter what. We're not. We're not that type of people. But because we kept looking at the data and the special election results, and we kept wondering, like what is going on here to the point where where you had like the New York Times ignoring their own polls because the narrative yes. was so overpowering. So, Carrie, you you really, really drilled into those guys today. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I just want to, you know, I, look, I I I have I spent I've spent over two decades as a journalist. Right. And so I am not like the most eager person to be like journalists suck. Like, I think it's important that we have good journalism. Right. The D.C., there's something very broken right now about the D.C. press corps. This is probably not going to be news to anyone who actually tuned in live or is listening to this podcast later that the D.C. press corps is broken, but it is. And I, I was not sort of an eager, you know, an eager media scold in this whole thing. But I just could not believe the flood of stories about, you know, that where, Democrats were scrambling. They were getting into defensive posture. They were, you know, they were, um, they were a anticipating. reckoning. Yeah. It was going to be a reckoning. reckoning. <laughs> a, a there was quote unquote fresh new evidence that, you know, from the polling that showed that three, uh, that Democrats were completely competitive and in fact winning three out of four swing States that had just been polled. But the New York times, Frame that as fresh new evidence that that uh, Republicans were going to control, take control of the House, that the red wave was coming. I mean, it, it was just relentless and I couldn't believe it. So in the final two weeks or three weeks of this, which I and, totally. By the way, yes, yeah,
0: th- those four polls in that New York Times story, that was fresh evidence of the Democratic challenges. Democrats won all four of those races. Just. Yeah. Just, as their polling said.
1: Just asterisk. We won. Okay, so (laughs) so anyway, you know, I just like I spent the last three weeks, basically, of of, you know, the midterm writing piece after piece debunking this. And I wasn't saying I know Democrats are going to win. That's not what I was saying. What I was saying was there isn't any data uh, to, to uh, fuel this narrative. There isn't a foundational set of data that say this is true. Okay. Other than vibes and there is historical precedent, but we, but it was clear that we're living in very ahistorical historical times. And what I said in my piece was, look, I mean, I was happy to say, I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but I don't think what we're looking at data wise it says what all of these Beltway pundits and journalists and analysts are going to are, are telling us is going to happen. And if they had shown just the same shred of like humility and the same sort of rigor and in, in trying to adhere to the facts and saying, well, you know, there's 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 sort of countervailing type uh, atmosphere here. There's there's you know, there's there's the economy pulling us this way, but there's abortion pulling us this way. And the whole idea I just have to say I was flabbergasted by the whole idea toward the end that 50 50 some, you know, some 50 percent of the population had been declared second class citizens with no bodily autonomy. And everyone was like, yeah, they're going to forget by November that they're second class citizens. I mean, I just couldn't. I I studied a movement for a decade, the LGBTQ movement. And if there's one thing beltway journalists and pundits do not understand, It is movements for freedom. It is freedom movements, legitimate grassroots movements. And they totally missed it and underestimated it. And it was driven by men. And there were plenty of women who bought into it inside the beltway. Sorry. Go ahead, Marcos.
0: Oh, don't apologize. I was just going to. So what you're saying is that the salience of abortion didn't fade in scare quotes. They kept (laughs) saying it has faded as though they're like, hey, eh, I wanted an, you know, I wanted abortion rights two months ago, but,
1: eh. you know, eh, gas prices,
0: gas prices I, are too high. the
1: the, the best the, the most um what can I say the sort of the the most uh, gracious explanation okay I can give to that is that they had this completely sophomoric. Reading of the polls, and when they, when they, when a majority of people said inflation and the and the economy are are a big issue for me or a top issue for me, they assumed that all of those people believed that Republicans were going to do better on inflation in the economy when they had zero plans to do it. And the other thing was is that we, you know, civics. I will also say, civics did a very good job of polling this. There were a few other pollsters too it. that did. But a better job, you know, did a good job a little bit more. They were they were a little bit more suspect, um, circumspect, and they they kind of delved in a little bit. But civics went ahead and pulled, um, you know, top issues and gave people a chance to do top issues. And I went back to this piece several times because I wrote on it and what was clear is that even though abortion wasn't the top issue for everyone, abortion was the top issue for Democratic voters at like 53 percent. And, you know, and then, of course, Republicans, their top issue by far was the economy. Independents were a little bit more in the economy Um but also among the top four issues it was the economy it was democracy uh and it was you know democracy and and um sanctity of the vote and then it was immigration and abortion uh, not necessarily in that order and and um you know the second issue uh, top issue among all of those was democracy, and everybody was like, "Oh no, democracy is not on the ballot. That's not a big deal." Everybody completely misread this. They they misread mm-hmm. how motivating this would be to the Democratic base. They poo pooed that. Guess what? Voters had other ideas <clears throat> other than what the media narrative was about the Red Wave, and they basically swept. You know, the voters went to the polls, and they wrote the history. I mean, uh, uh, the so- the. Reporters just forgot this year that they don't write the history. The voters write the history. And then and then the and then that that's the narrative that the journalists follow, not lead.
0: Oh, I mean, the journalists were, were they were transcribing the Republican narrative. And it's OK for Republicans to argue that they're going to win a wave election. That's that's sort of a party's job is to it's project confidence and strength and say, yeah, like th- this is this is our time and people are not happy with uh, with uh, Joe Biden. But for the media to say, like, all right, we're going we're jumping in bed with those guys. That sounds good. Like that sounds this is good. And even though our data and our polls and a special election results show different numbers, we're still going to cling to this because Republicans sure look confident about it. And they're spending money in Washington and Colorado, two states, by the way, that Democrats won by 20 points. So this I uh, <laughs> But it was money well spent, right? Because the media... Swallow that hey, hook, um, hook
1: line and sinker. Hey Marcos, don't don't you know that that um that re- Democrats are worried about Washington and Senator Pat or, Patty Murray there? She's really gonna get swept up in the right. red wave. I mean, that was another one. They were like, Oh yeah, if Democrats oh. are worried about Patty Murray, then you know it's 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 curtains for them. Well, we weren't worried about Patty Murray.
0: No, we weren't. I think last I saw she was up at like sixteen or eighteen. I mean Patty Patty Murray was gonna be oh, but, no. but you know what, Carrie, you you yes. know I like that you brought up the, the civics polling on, on abortion and inflation and in that you said that there was this assumption that inflation benefited Republicans, that this was their issue. And so if people were going to vote on inflation, that they would vote Republican. There was exit polling on this. We don't have to even guess at this. The exit polls. And unfortunately, they did not ask about democracy, which was a big failing by the exit by the um, media consortium. But they did ask about abortion crime immigration and inflation and inflation was nationally it was a top issue but only like 32 percent abortion was 28 percent. but if you sort of dig in and if you say okay of those who said that inflation was the top issue which party is better on inflation the numbers were 52 percent republican 44 percent democrat that's just an what eight point spread on the issue that was supposedly like going to sweep out Democrats. So that right there shows you that Republicans never closed that deal. They, they may have gotten people agitated about inflation and about gas prices, but they didn't because there was never a plan. They never said, and we'll stop it because, you know, we'll do X, Y, Z because there's nothing right there. There's literally nothing they can do to slow down inflation. This is a global phenomenon based on the war in, in Ukraine and, and COVID and supply chains that have been disrupted and et cetera, et cetera. So this was not the winner. But then you had abortion was number two. And then even immigration, immigration, I think, was top issue for 12 percent. And oh, OK, that must really benefit Republicans. When they dug into that immigration question, 60 percent of respondents said that immigrants were a net positive for America and only 30 percent said that they were they hurt America. So even this assumption that the media makes that immigration and inflation helped the Republicans turned out to be a complete mirage. At best, it was a wash and abortion, of course, definitely benefited us. And 60 percent of voters said they were pissed off at the Supreme Court and the Dobbs decision and only like 28 percent approved of it.
1: Yeah. I want to throw in one more thing, which is remember how crime was the big issue. Um, Crime was going to be everything. And uh, and and, you know, and that. And so uh, New York, the New York gubernatorial race was, quote, unquote, a toss up in The New York Times Uh, because 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 crime was going to bring uh, incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul down. Well, that didn't exactly pan out either. Crime was not. You know, was not a a super big driver, even though where I read story after story where crime was turning it all around for the Republicans. Um, we want to give I want to give a couple shout-outs here. First of all, I want to shout out one of my favorite people, Joe Sudbay, is apparently listening, according to my producer. So I just want to say Joe Sudbay was among the people who was like, I do not get what is going on with the media. Um, he was along with Marcos and I and, you know, other people like, uh, Simon, like Simon. Higley, Simon, Simon Rosenberg and, uh, and Joe Trippy, And, you know, Simon really took, uh, I have to say, took people on his back and was like, I'm just going to put my neck on the line for this and just was relentless. And it's impressive because uh, it, it's worth having, I mean, you know, having studied the LGBTQ movement, covering it for, um, for 10 years, you know, what are the, one of um, the biggest heroes in it, or one of you know, there are many heroes in it, but, but Harvey Milk was a big hero. hero, And one of his, you know, most famous quotes was saying, was, was a saying, you always have to give them hope. You have to give them hope. And, you know, I, I don't know, was Simon selling hopium? He didn't think so. He thought, you know, he was basing everything he said on data that he was gleaning on, on trends, you know, trends that he was seeing on campaigns he's worked. So he didn't think he was helping. He was, he was giving hopium, but even if he was, God bless him for what he did. I'll say that. Another thing, the young voters who went out and showed up in historic numbers, I don't even know what those numbers are. We don't don't
0: know yet. Yeah. We don't know yet. We We don't don't know yet, but but, but, but we have some anecdotal.
1: What we have anecdotal and what we do know is what we do know is Democrats would never be in the position they are in right now if young voters hadn't showed up at the polls. We needed, all the data suggested, we needed young voters or we were going to lose this badly. And the fact that we didn't lose this badly, the fact that we're very much in the hunt, that we look to be keeping the Senate, that we have an outside chance at the House, that we won these governorships, that we turned back a handful of anti-abortion measures All this stuff that that reproductive freedom and freedom in general really won on the ballot last night. That is in large part, and we're going to find out more about this story, I'm sure, with hard numbers to come. But that is in large part due to young voters, young energy, in particular, young women who were <clears> like, <throat> I am not going to sit back and let a bunch of men on the Supreme Court tell me what I can and can't do with my body, with my medical choices, with my family, uh, with my partner for the rest of my life. Just F you to that. So you guys, you guys had a chance. I mean, young voters, you know, the kids, as they say <laughs> I hate to admit, I'm not one of the kids anymore. But, nope. but you know, <laughs> they had a chance to make their voice heard. And they did. And those and though and they are the hero of their own story. Those votes counted they made a difference they will make a material difference to those kids as they grow up in in and as we as we go you know do the general generational work of trying to save this democracy from where it was headed under Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans and it is the work of a generation i just want to say this this isn't the work of a few cycles for so long we were like if we can just Oust Donald Trump will be fine. No, it's the work of a generation. We've got this is a marathon and not a sprint. So just get used to it. Just get used to it. And I'm not preaching to that to the young folks now. I'm preaching that to the to the old fogies among us. I don't know. I'm not an old fogie, but whatever. Yeah,
0: Carrie's today's first time voters are going to be our regular voters in 2024 and moving forward. And so we don't have to start from lower. We got we actually have a higher baseline of core democratic voters. And then so it makes it much easier in 2024. We know if we can turn them out in this kind of cycle in the midterms without a presidential election to drive all the attention. Uh we got things coming. And Carrie, you know the Supreme Court ain't stopping. This Supreme Court's out of control. They picked up they picked up some some uh pretty radical cases and and so they're going to get rid of um affirmative action. They are inevitably going to take um they're going to be looking at at contraception, I mean, they've got an agenda, and so it is our responsibility right now to keep that in the in the in the you know keep talking about those things, make sure people realize what these dangers are, because we didn't get the fifty-two seat majority we needed to make mansion in cinema irrelevant. So we're still working with sort of a hand, you know, like our hands tied behind our backs, and and it's it's a challenge. But we don't have to deal with Mitch McConnell, Senate, likely. And that alone is huge. We can get judges through. And so that's going to be that's going to be big for that for that long term. So, Kerry, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I wrote about. So I I, I loved your 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 takeaway was sort of on the this media narrative that bought into Republican claims of a wave election and this wave election didn't materialize. And just like we said, and we never said there will be no wave election. I just want to make very clear what we said in what Simon Rosenberg and what Joe Trippi and everybody else was saying is we don't see evidence of a wave election. So there was a chance that they may have been right by accident, but had there been a wave election, it would have been because of their, you know, because they were right, but because they, you know, even a stop clock is right twice a day. So this is sort of related what I was writing about. So you got this narrative, it's saying, oh, doom, doom, doom for Democrats, Republicans are going to win. And there was this group of fricking Democrats who bought into it, and for the last several weeks have been complete, Oh, you know, the Democrats should have done this, and we're headed towards big losses. And oh, John Fetterman, you shouldn't have debated. And you know, oh, like there was always this this assumption that the narrative was 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 true, and so it furthered the narrative because then the, those reporters can say like, oh, even Democrats say that they're go- they're they're in trouble. So so we don't ha- we can we don't have to. Assume it's just Republicans. Everybody, it's a bipartisan understanding. And again, there's there's a way to talk about this. Saying, and you 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 alluded to it earlier. There's a way to say, yeah, we have headwinds. We have economic headwinds. Joe Biden, it's not popular. We're not going to pretend otherwise. We're not we're not going to make up a reality. We get that. But there's also these countervailing issues that that may cancel that out and give us an atypical midterm election. Donald Trump not getting off the stage, and uh, the abortion decision and, and gun shootings guns actually may have played a role as well. And so there was a, that was a problem but then on top of that, these people decided that they they knew better what the Democratic message should have been and had only the Democrats listened to them, then they wouldn't be uh, you know they wouldn't lose in a wave election. Again, there had been no wave election yet. no votes had been counted. Um, some votes had been cast. But nobody knew what those really looked like. And actually, for what we did know about the early votes, they look pretty good for us. So this idea that that the wrong message. So you had people like Hillary Rosen, who's his sort of political consultant, um, I guess, very centrist, saying on CNN, saying we're headed for big election losses. And it's because Joe Biden wants to talk about democracy and the people, the voters are saying it's about the economy. And he doesn't even want want to listen to the voters.
1: Yeah, it was so,
0: so it was it was it terrible. Just, I it was, was like, so bad. I
1: actually knew Hillary Rosen in D.C. And when I because she's a, she's openly gay. And and, you know, I basically knew everyone who was LGBTQ <laughs> in D.C. That's just what it comes down to. And, you know, I didn't know her well, but I certainly mm. crossed paths with her any number of times. And, you know, I just was shocked. I was shocked when I saw that clip. You know, I just don't know what it, how it benefits benefits anyone to go on the night before, like two days before the biggest, one of the biggest midterm votes in our history and trash, uh, Republic par- or trust Democratic Party. Question. Yeah, the, the party the president, the, messaging, the, you know, just everything. Like I could I was like, what is this serving? Not to mention that I thought it was misguided. I thought she was wrong. And she and was I, wrong. She I mean,
0: was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, objectively. And it but it's that certainty, right? I know better than everybody else. And I'm not somebody who's going to defend the party when they screw up. We, we know like we will we will be just as vicious. But when the data and the special elections that were run on on abortion and the Kansas uh, results on the anti-abortion uh, ballot initiative. When you look at the preponderance of the evidence, we were saying, yeah, abortion is that is that is the issue to run on. And when we talk about democracy, you know, Joe Biden talking about democracy, that's Donald Trump. I mean, when I say Donald Trump didn't get off the stage Donald Trump and democracy are literally the same the same issue. And you can throw in January six commission in there, too. Right. It's all of a piece. It's the damage and the danger of the MAGA Republican. Right. And my quibble with Joe, uh, Joe Biden is he keeps talking about MAGA Republicans as though they're different than regular Republicans. And we know that at this point they are one and the same. There's no distinction, but that's just a tiny little quibble. Right. It was clear. And again, we've been talking about this since last year, Carrie, Donald Trump and abortion were going to be the issues. But here's Hillary and She knows better. And not only was she wrong just by the data, but just even from a strategic standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, Republicans are trying to make this election about the economy. We know that even though in those exit polls, Democrats only had a 52-44 advantage on the economy, that's still an advantage. That is their territory. We have issues that right now trump the economy. Why would we go into their playing field and argue with them over, over inflation and gas prices when we can just focus on the things that benefit us Right now, just from a tactical standpoint, it made more sense for us to focus on our issues because they were so powerful. They were so overwhelmingly powerful that people were like, I don't care about gas prices. Yeah, these suck. I don't like I don't like higher gas prices. They're the worst. But I actually like my my autonomy, my bodily autonomy. And I like my democracy. And that's more important today.
1: There was just—I mean—the other thing was—is that it was just—it was just so clear that the thing that shifted the fundamental trajectory of this election. Was the Supreme Court ruling. I mean, it was that's that's where all the registrations shot up among women. That's where, you know, that's where the special elections turned around from Dems underperforming to Dems overperforming. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be like, gee, what changed here? You know, (laughs) no, we're not that smart. It was right. I know it was so obvious. I'm not like some sort of genius. Right. I'm like, you know, strictly average intelligence over here. It it, it was very, very clear. Um, and 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 so I, I, I don't know why you would. You know, I mean, I think I just want to say and then I'll let you go back because I know you're on a roll here, but. I think the White House and I think Democrats, Democrats for a long time, were all rowing in the same direction on abortion. And it was good. It was good that they did that because that was the base motivator. And we wouldn't have had an effing chance without the base. We would not have. It was super big for young people. It was super big for the base. Um, So you have to pound that home. And then the White House did, I think, a pretty good job. And also some other messengers, some Democratic messengers did a pretty good job job of pounding home things at the end like democracy and like the fact that uh, Republicans have no economic message or plan other than you mm-hmm. know we're gonna raise taxes, <clears throat> cut social security and Medicare. I mean, they were they did a good job of there, sort of there tax- was. Yeah, right. Tacking this on at the yeah. end, not as the main message, but hey, you're worried about the economy. Let me give you another reason to vote Democratic and vote against yeah. the Republican party. Hey, you're worried about democracy. Let me give you another reason to vote against Republicans. You know, so, so I think they actually did it just about right as good as you can in this very confusing environment. Okay. Your, your floor. No, I mean, that. It
0: is it this idea that Democrats won't talk about the economy was just patently false, too. And by saying by Hillary Rosen going on CNN saying Democrats aren't talking about the economy, then people are like, oh, I guess Democrats aren't talking about the economy instead of being like, no, they're talking about Social Security. They're talking about, heck, the the choice to have a child is probably the most consequential economic decision anybody can make. Kids are expensive, as you know, and I know. Kids are expensive. Not having kids, you're gonna have a lot more money, a lot more financial <laughs> stability. They don't. Near have nearly as life. many
1: headaches and, t- <laughs> and way too much sleep. So who would want that? Right.
0: So, so even there, they are undermining the democratic economic message by saying, "Well, they don't have no message." So that was sort of like on 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 the right. But then I'm also gonna call out our allies on the left because, again, you know, you have people like Bernie Sanders and Justice Democrats, and I know m- mentioning Bernie Sanders is gonna. Upset our producer Walter. <laughs> Sorry, Walter.
1: Um, actually, actually uh, Marcos, I'm just going to go get myself a you know a sip of water real quick, so, and you you go after but, Bernie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but
0: um, they were a week before the election. They're talking about how Democrats are going to lose big, and it's because they didn't talk about econ economics. And, and so, I just want to make a very clear distinction here. I, I mentioned earlier tactical decision for this for this cycle, as opposed to strategic. Tactical is what you do to win an immediate task at hand, like the immediate battle. In this case, the midterm election. But the midterm election isn't the end of this fight. There's a strategic fight for the future of our country, right? And it's going to continue uh, forward. And that strategic battle does need a Democratic Party that talks about economics better. Absolutely. We have seen right now, in, in the last couple months, how the cost of gas is directly correlated to Joe Biden's approval numbers. So if you're a big oil executive in 2024 and you want the Republicans to win because they're going to give you sweet ass tax breaks and no regulations, what are you going to do? You're going to manipulate the price of gas right before the election to drive his approval ratings down and to to help, you know, to try to uh, help the Republican win that election. That is incredibly dangerous. Why aren't we demonizing oil companies for price gouging and uh, and taking advantage of, quote, inflation to lead to record corporate profits? If it was inflation, obviously, their profits would be stable because it just means the cost of labor goods and everything else would go up, but it hasn't record profits. We need to have a better economic message. We need to be better at demonizing those malignant economic actors. Yes. So I am with Bernie Sanders and, and, and the economic left on those issues, but that's the strategic battle. And you don't fight the strategic battle a week before the election when you're tactically focused on the task at hand. And as we mentioned earlier, that tactical strategy was abortion, Donald Trump slash democracy. That's what the moved the numbers. And, and to add to how we're, you know, we're such geniuses, Kerry, uh, in the special elections before the Dobbs decision, Republicans were outperforming their 2020 numbers by six to nine points. After Dobbs, Democrats were outperforming their 2020 numbers by about between three and seven points. That's like a 10 to 20 point shift because of the Dobbs decision. You do not have to be a rocket scientist to go, wow, maybe that Supreme Court decision did something and it dramatically altered the shape of this electorate. And let's ride that. And for once, the Democratic Party got that right. For once, I'm not they don't always get it right. They got it right this time. And so let's there's again. If you wanted to have that the, that discussion about the party's failings on their economic messaging, yeah, that's a legit question, and we can talk about that. But could you wait a freaking week till after the election <laughs> instead of saying like we're gonna lose and we're gonna lose big, and it's because they didn't follow my agenda and talk about my issues? That's yeah. what was so infuriating.
1: The guy, the guys that, because um, uh, I listen to a bunch of podcasts to see what other people are doing all the time, and the guys at Pod Save America are always telling are always. <laughs> talking about how Democrats need to develop an inner monologue. Right. So, so, you know, like, just, you don't have to go to a reporter and say, Oh my God, lose. Oh, yes. screwing up. (laughs) Oh, you know, whatever. Like you could do that behind closed doors. You don't have to tell a reporter, you know what I mean? Like, so and I'm a yeah. reporter like there are things that I think are worth it's worth telling reporters. There's transparency that I think is worthwhile and, you know, transparency a week before election when there's no chance. Here's the thing. If you really believed this and you really wanted to make a case for this and you wanted to send up a signal in the press because you couldn't get people to listen to you. So you fueled a story. <clears throat> I don't know, two months out to see if you could get people to buy into whatever you thought was the really right tactical choice or even strategic choice, right? Then maybe, maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a a, a a way you can defend that and make a case for it. What you can't make a case for is doing it like five days, two days, one day yeah. before everyone's going to vote. Use nothing. Nothing can change at that yeah. time. You can't change it. You can't get more buy in into your position. All you're going to do is deflate and demoralize Democratic voters like that's yeah. the only thing Good. you're doing. That's it. The media
0: will go, Oh, look, look, the, you know, the parties left. They, they think we're, you know, they're going to lose as well. And so it feels their narrative. The, I would say the narrative and I capitalized the letters T and A and T and N, the narrative, uh, because it's not just Republicans pushing it at that point. So they're even safer in, in in pushing that. So absolutely. And what's wrong with waiting a week? (laughs) I mean, if we got blown out, yeah, then come back and say, like, um, that didn't work. But maybe wait to see what the exit polls say because the exit polls, turns out abortion was top two nationally. And we didn't mention this number one issue in Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, we won the governor's race, we won the senator's race, and we picked up the state house as well. We picked up a state legislature in Pennsylvania just because imagine how, that, was yeah, the, ju- that was what people wanted. They, turns out they what? wanted to talk about abortion
1: just imagine how well we could have done in pennsylvania if john fetterman hadn't done that debate marcos (laughs) (laughs) like that was another media fail the the, the media the media can i just say i'll i'll just take one victory lap on this the media was convinced it was a disaster and i have to say it was hard to watch john it was hard to watch not he was not at his best right but the media decided that this was going to be a disaster for him without talking to voters without seeing polling and whatever Mm -hmm. and what became really clear i kept looking at civics um, favorable. Some of this stuff is just not uh, public. You know, you can't look at it um, uh, public consumption. But I kept looking at and also looking at other polling. And it was really clear that the media missed the story entirely. And even the day I I saw um, Sarah Longwell, who, you know, is a friend of mine from D.C. She's never Trumper. Um, she's, been, she's She's been from, on the show a couple of, times. Yeah, she's openly gay, which is how I knew her in D.C. because we all knew each other. We were all on the list. Um, anyway, so so anyway, but she but she's been on the show a couple times. Hopefully we'll do a postmortem with her about where the Republican Party <clears> is. <throat> oh, God. Um, yeah. But uh, but uh, <clears throat> she and she was saying she was she said, I'm watching this. And she does all these. um she does all of these focus groups all the time. And she's like, I'm watching this debate between Fetterman and Oz. And I saw her tweet this. And she said, you know, sure Fetterman is struggling. It's clear he's, you know, he's having trouble and that the, the stroke has had an impact. He said, but, Oz doesn't seem to be doing him any favor his himself any favors he's talking fast he's smug he's you know he's he's just basically he was his i mean i'm using this now he's he's like as gross as he ever was like once a yeah. snake, snake oil salesman uh, snake oil salesman always a snake oil salesman and the, and i wrote a piece that said the the question isn't whether or not the debate hurt fetterman it's whether or not oz can get past his ick factor and um, based on the fact that, that, that Oz's, uh, unfavorable rating were sky high while Fetterman was actually looking pretty good. I mean, he was like, t- his, his unfavorable rating and favorable rating were almost exactly tied at 47, 48%. And meanwhile, Sever- Fetterman was, I mean, sorry, uh, Oz was like, you know, about at least 15, maybe even 20 points underwater. So, that proved to be exactly right. It wasn't my idea. I just said I just looked into what I saw Sarah saying and I was like, you know what? She's got this right. She's but, got this right.
0: This is this is where data becomes very, very important as opposed to sort of preconceived notions of what your gut is telling you. Because yep. a lot of Democrats are freaking out because it was it was painful watching watching Fetterman. But he there was a, a narrative brewed and it was, it was organic. It didn't come from the campaign. People are saying like that was really brave. That was really brave. Given what he's gone through, he could have hidden. And yet he went out there. And and that's that's uh, that's pretty impressive. But here's where the data comes in. The data showed very clearly and Republicans, I'm sure, polled this to death. And he knew that that Oz's big problems with voters is that he was seen as a carpetbagger because he's from New Jersey and he lives in New Jersey and his doctors in New Jersey. And that he um, the snake oil like sleaziness. Right. So. The way he, Fetterman may have struggled, but people knew why he was struggling. Oz had to come out and show that he wasn't a sleazy snake oil salesman. And he had to show that he cared about or knew something about Pennsylvania, that he wasn't a, just a carpetbagger. But instead he sat there and he like threw dagger after dagger at, at, at Fetterman, spoke too fast. So Fetterman couldn't understand because his his ability to listen and process is Currently impaired and uh, smirked and thought he was being all clever and then lied in a way that Fetterman just couldn't keep up to rebut. So he actually played into his worst, uh, the worst criticisms about that. But you're a Democrat, you're watching this, we all knew what those cl- um, problems Oz had, right? So it would have been easy to go, like, yeah, Fetterman struggled, he's really brave, but look. Oz didn't do what he needed to do, right. Right, which was X, Y, Z. Instead, they're all crying and whining and oh, why did Fetterman go out there? And oh, this is a disaster, and we're going to lose. This is the moment we lost a race, and, and so you don't generally get that from Republicans. And there, there's a line between like lying and being honest, and not being, you know, just hysterical about about reactions and using the press as your therapist. Oh, yeah. like, let me get out my angst about what's happening. Exactly,
1: That's where the inner monologue comes in. <laughs> exactly. go, go get therapy. Go see someone about that. But don't go to a reporter and, you know, like spill your guts. So, so
0: anyway, I hope I hope we've learned some things to cycle. I think we've learned the power of base mobilization, focusing a message that really focuses on getting our vote out. There's not a lot of persuadable people. Uh, and there's also work that can be done there on abortion, on you know, those college educated suburban white women and even white our men ground
1: game. Our ground game was just superior. And having everybody come out and early vote, if you early, early voted, vote, was huge. if you got a young person to vote, if you got your family members to vote, if you got anyone to vote who wasn't going to, uh, you, you know, c- consider yourself a hero. Right. Uh, Because that all mattered. And if you're an organizer, an activist, if you if you got out the vote, if you texted, if you called, if you wrote postcards, consider yourself a hero. If you voted, consider yourself a hero.
0: Absolutely. So we have shown that even in the worst environment, we can win. So 2024 is a different it's a different world now. It's going to be tough. It's going to be like this year. But if we can win in a year like this, we can win in 2024. We can win in January when we have the runoff in Georgia for that for uh, Raffle Warnock's Senate race. And so we, we, we're not done. I think we get to take a week or two to like relax and celebrate and feel good about what we've accomplished. And that's, that's well earned. But this is, again, just a strategic battle. We won this tactical battle. Yay us. But now we get the strategic war that we're still fighting. And, and so I'm really excited to have... You, Kerry, and everybody at Daily Kos and everybody that listens and watches and reads is part of that fight, because because now we have shown that we are far more powerful than anybody thought possible. Nobody believed that the Democrats could survive this election, yet we did it against all odds and we can do it even more. We can build upon that. So I'm really excited about the future and about what we are going to accomplish in the years ahead, despite... Dealing with Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and all the crap that they're going to throw at the who Supreme are getting court. ready
1: to claw each other's eyes out. Uh, by yeah. the way, it was a so, really bad night for Donald Trump and a really good night for Ron DeSantis, and that could be interesting. So go so ahead. So thanks
0: everybody for joining us for this episode. I am so glad that we had it was a fun episode because it could have been a lot different. <laughs> but we got to say we're right and to celebrate some great victories and to really set the table for 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 this fight and how it's going to shape up in the years ahead. So. I'm glad but we're mostly all part to,
1: of that. But mostly to thank you for doing what you did because you Absolutely. guys did this.
0: Absolutely. So, thank, so. Thanks, to, thanks to you, Carrie and Walter, uh, our producer, and everybody who makes the show work behind the scenes, Kara, Dorothy, and Paul. And thank you for everything. Seriously, love you so much from the bottom of my heart. You guys are the best. And uh, let's keep doing more of this. Winning is fun. Let's, do, let's like this, how this feels. Let's do more of this. Yeah. Thank you so much. Catch you all next week thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast.com.